Hello, and welcome to today's episode of In Fellowship, the podcast where we explore community building through a chapter-by-chapter reading of Lord of the Rings. My name is Anna. And my name is Ellen. And in today's episode, we are discussing Book 1, Chapter 5, A Conspiracy Unmasked, exploring how community is built when one leaves home. Anna, where would you say home is for you spiritually? Wow. <laughs> Starting at the deepest end of the pool. Are we, yeah, really diving in too much there? Yes, that was, um, that was a lot to take mm. in all at once. But it's interesting that you asked this question because I did see something recently where someone was asking this question about where are you a local as opposed to where are you from? And really allowing someone to define their locality or maybe their sort of identity around different spaces that they've, they've occupied or that they've spent time in, depending on what phase of their life that they're in. And I thought that was such an interesting way to frame the question because often we start and end with where are you from, but that really limits someone to or creates a much more complicated, nuanced response from someone who may feel like they're from a lot of places. So an interesting response to your very deep question. No, I like that. I've been thinking in preparation for this episode how where you call home can really affect your personality and not just the city that you're in or the state that you're in or the the country, but like the actual colors of your wall and the way you decorate and how your home is almost like the face of your personality that you are presenting to the world. And it's, it's vice versa. Like the home shapes you and you shape the home. So I'm excited to talk about some of these, I guess, more meta uh, discussions around homes, what is a home, what makes a home, and how you find community in yours. Great. Well, I think that then should kick us off into our next phase. So what story do you have for us today about building community when you leave home? So after high school, I did what a lot of people did, and I left home. And I went to college in Chicago, which was close-ish to home, but uh, nevertheless very different from where we had grown up. And I had a grand time there for a few years and, you know, really built myself a new home in the city of Chicago. Um, I got my first apartment there. I made friends, people whom I traveled with, who I worked with, who I just generally liked and lived with, and I'm still close to a lot of them today. And that really was my definition of of home for those four years of where's home for you. It's Chicago. Until one day, I decided that instead of using the summer between my junior and senior year for a career building professional internship, I would instead go to a summer camp in the Catskills in upstate New York to be the arts and crafts camp counselor. And I taught the kiddos tie-dye, basic sewing skills... And this was a really momentous leaving of home, leaving of Chicago for me. I decided to drive there from Chicago in my 22-year-old vehicle named Mildred um, against parental wishes. But I did the responsible thing before I left my home and I got it serviced, made sure that everything was checked out, that the vehicle was ready to go and make this multi-day journey to New York. I made it about 50 miles before the brakes gave out. And that, while normally would be catastrophic, 
in a stick shift was more just jarring because you can slow down the vehicle by by shifting down. But this crisis, I ended up having to stay overnight in some like teensy town in Pennsylvania. There was one Uber driver there to get me around while my car was in the shop. So the, the brakes got fixed eventually and I was able to move on and make it to the mountains. My vehicle, Mildred, really struggled with the uphills. I couldn't quite get to every destination that I needed to en route. Then I lost GPS reception in the last 20 minutes trying to get to this very remote summer camp. And then on a a steep gravel road, the car is not doing well. I'm barely making it up the hill. It's getting dark. And I finally made it to camp after all of these crises in my mind. And I get there and I had missed dinner. (laughs) And that last little bit of having been delayed in my arrival from the issue with the brakes, losing the GPS, and then not doing well in the mountains was really the straw that broke the camel's back. And what I did in that moment was I called my mom and I told her that I had made a mistake in coming to camp and I really wanted to leave and go back home. And it's funny because I hadn't lived with my mom in over three years or called her place my home in those years. But in a moment of stress and crisis, as I am leaving what I thought was my home, Chicago, to go someplace new, I came to really think about not the community of my new Chicago home, but I thought in my mind of like, I'm having a bad time. I want the familiarity of the home that I have with my mother. And so the question that I'm excited to talk to you about today is, Is your definition of home always your default community? Because for me in that moment, I didn't think, oh, I want to call my Chicago roommates. I want to call the people that I have there in the city. In that moment of crisis, I wanted to go home to where my mom was. What do you make of all that? Well, I wrote down the word harrowing (laughs) as you discussed your journey. And I think you have a lens into the trials and tribulations that our protagonists in the book will endure. So, wow, what a, what a journey that was. And I think that kind of comes back to community, right? Like, in that moment, you were looking for affirmation, you were looking for a sense of comfort, you were looking for maybe some guidance. And I think those three things really intersect in this story for you as a a parent, someone who can really set some guidance for me in how I'm going to move forward and whether this was a huge mistake and kind of reaching back to a space where you've maybe previously been uncertain and, and have received a reasonable amount of guidance from, from sort of a loving voice previously. Yeah, I think there is something in there about stress or crises. Like, I was not homesick moving to Chicago and did not once in those first three years call anyone saying I have had a bad time and would like to return. But those two days getting to this camp, which really is in the middle, it's in Roscoe, New York, middle of nowhere Catskills upstate, Getting there was so stressful that I wanted to return to the community that I knew best, and that I think would be my nuclear family. 
I am thinking too about like your relationship with yourself to your community. So if I extrapolate from that example in my in my study abroad experience, I don't remember feeling homesick for a place. I remember feeling homesick for my position in a community. Like I knew myself to be a sister and I was missing your high school graduation and I felt really lost about that. And I had been dating my partner at that point for a long period of time and I was missing a big year anniversary and I felt really lost uh, having missed that. And then one of my friends was turning 21 and that's a big birthday, right? In the US, you're now legally able to drink. I was really sad that I was missing her 21st birthday party too. And so in relationship to others and how I understood my positioning in people that I would qualify as my community, I felt really lost for those pieces. So I think coming back to your original question, how do you define home? What makes something a home? And often when I think of a home, I think of the relationships that make it special, maybe less so the physical space. And so that may add an, an additional layer to when we think about moving from home, right? Well, I think this would be a good time to talk about what happened in the chapter that we read today. Um, Anna, do you want to run us through some of the, the main moments? Yes. So, of note, we get a bit of history and geography of the Shire and Buckland. The group, which consists of Frodo and Pippin and Sam, arrive at Frodo's, quote, new house in Buckland, uh, bathe and have another dinner, because you can never have too many dinners. Frodo dreads telling the group he has to leave on his continual journey towards Rivendell. And to his surprise, the group already knows. Merry and Pippin are planning to join Frodo then and Sam on their quest to Rivendell. And ultimately, the group decides to leave Buckland by way of the old forest. Dun dun dun. Because the old forest has a bit of a reputation. Right. Should I have gotten us a soundboard? Or is it fine if I just do that myself? <laughs> I feel really comfortable with you being the soundboard. Great. I'm going to take that on. That's my new role. Incredible. I would like it to be like the old days of radio where you have just a, a series of items next to you that create the sounds you're looking for, but also are a very random assortment of things. Like a folio artist? Is that what that's called? Foley? I have no expertise. Foley artist? There's no way to know. There's just absolutely no way to know the answer to this question, so we'll move on. The person who, like, adds the the movie, the noises to the movies of, like, the walking up the stairs or stuff like that. It exists. It's me. That's right. It is you. It is you for this podcast. It's a very low-budget podcast. <laughs> that is so true. Mm-hmm. Do all this ourselves, you guys. Mm -hmm. So that's what happened. But Ellen, where did you see examples of the theme throughout the chapter? The examples are in here left and right. There were really so many to, to pick from. The first one that I saw going through the chapter is literally the first sentence. Mary says, quote, now we had better get home ourselves. After leaving the ferry, 
And this reminded me of my story and that in a time of trouble, we want to go home. And that's where we want to return to for safety. Another one that happened shortly after that is, quote, the Bucklanders kept their doors locked after dark. And that also was not usual in the Shire. And this one I liked because it shows how your home affects the way that you act and the way that you perceive the world. I currently live in New York City, but I recently was in North Carolina for a hiking trip. And I remember at the trailhead, people had just left their car keys there. Like, I don't know if they were worried about carrying that extra weight in their backpack or if they were worried about losing it. But to me, that is like, I would not make that decision in New York, but I guess in North Carolina, we're like, yeah, that's fine. We'll just leave these here. That is bonkers. I can't imagine thinking to myself, there's a reasonable assurance that this will be here when I return. And like, also, how heavy are your car keys? Like, you have bigger issues to tackle if said car keys are too heavy for you to take into the wilderness. Right, like, that's the safer option. To be fair, I did leave my car keys, but not outside. I left them with a trusted person who put them in a lockbox for the hike. So I was shocked, but it made me think of the Bucklanders here. Like, the Bucklanders are the New Yorkers, and they know to keep their doors locked after dark. But in the Shire, it doesn't matter, and we can just leave the car keys out, we can leave the doors unlocked, and your home affects sort of the way that you view the world there. The next example that I'd like to bring up is when Frodo has arrived inside of his new home in Krakalo, and he says, quote, It's delightful, he said with an effort. I hardly feel that I have moved at all. And this one made me think about how physical items can make you feel at home as much as the actual space can. How hanging pictures on a wall after you move can really make things feel more cozy, especially if it's something that you had hanging in your previous home. Or going back to my first story about summer camp, the campers brought so much to decorate their little bunk. You know, there were photos on the wall. They brought their own duvets. They brought stuff from home. They brought rugs for the, like, area rugs for underneath their bed. All of these things to make what is really just a big empty room with bunk beds to feel more like home and feel cozier. And that's sort of what I think Frodo is experiencing here. All of the things that he had at his old home that he's left and now brought with him to this new home makes it feel homier. Yeah, and in that same space, right, on on page 113 for me, it says, Frodo looked round. It did look like home. Many of his own favorite things, or Bilbo's things, they reminded him sharply of him in their new setting, were arranged as nearly as possible as they had been at Bag End. And I like that concept because it feels like Frodo is both trying to, or his friends are trying to help Frodo acclimate to this new space, And Frodo is that much more reminded of Bilbo, someone who he has a trusted relationship with, because his items really stick out in this new space to him. So I think that's a really interesting continuance of the the relationship we see Bilbo and Frodo have had since the beginning of our story. Yeah, I like that you draw our attention to the things that remind him of Bilbo, because that 
does go back to our earlier point of home is more about the person than about the the physical space. But I want to, we're going to question that a little bit with my next example. And this part honestly made me laugh out loud when Frodo has learned that all of his friends already knew he was leaving and they are not at all surprised. And Pippin goes, did you really think that you had thrown dust in all of our eyes? You have not been nearly careful or clever enough for that. And then the part that I really want us to pay attention to is, quote, You have obviously been planning to go and saying farewell to all of your haunts all this year since April. We have constantly heard you muttering, Shall I ever look down into that valley again, I wonder, and things like that. <laughs> and I like this bit for a lot of reasons. First of all, I think it's hilarious to imagine how melodramatic Frodo is that he's walking around and like muttering into the valley like, shall I ever look into this valley again? Goodbye, old tree. You are so kind to me with your shade. Oh, look, there's that pebble I tripped over once. Like all of the things that like maybe he hasn't attached value to previously that all of a sudden now that he's thinking about leaving, he's like, these are the most quintessential Shire experiences a a young hobbit can have and you're just like but okay it's like a it's a valley man and that he's doing it out loud yeah like you could have had that quiet reflection on your own but no he is verbalizing to the valley like I will miss you It reminds me of when, I don't know if anybody else did this, if you're ever listening to like your own personal headphones in a car ride or a a train ride somewhere, and especially when you were young, like listening to something that had a lot of emotion to it because you're already kind of angsty as a teenager perhaps, and you just pretend that you're in the music video just like melodramatically as you stated you know looking out the window and pretending like the song that you've you're listening to you've written or has been written about you and that was the vibe I really got from Frodo saying goodbye to a valley I'm picturing you and me in the back seat uh with our matching purple and blue personal cd players as children I'm certain I was listening to Green Day. I don't know what you had, but I remember doing that dramatic look out the window. A very strong Avril Lavigne CD in the Purple Walkman that skipped every time we hit a bump in the road because it's a Walkman. Oh yeah, that was the vibe I was getting. Yeah, and that's what Frodo's doing here, which is hilarious. But the the second thing that I wanted to bring up here is the importance that we build around places in our community, it, it's formative. And I feel like they're still tied to individual relationships and memories of those relationships. Like the places, if you were to leave your town tomorrow, the places that you would go to to say goodbye to today, they would all be places where I have positive memories almost exclusively with other people. So while the, the space is important, it's still tied to a relationship with another person. Is that true for you? I think so. I had this thought as I was prepping for this episode earlier where the the place where I live now is not a place that if asked outright, I would qualify as my home. Like, yes, I, I physically live here. I own a home here and I love my house. And 
the community itself is not a place where I feel at home quite yet. Like there is still relief when I come back, maybe from traveling to like see things that are familiar, but if asked outright, I wouldn't qualify it as such. But as I was thinking about places that are important to me, one that really stood out was the place where my partner and I got engaged. And it's kind of this tiny little nook off of a walking trail, essentially, in the middle of a wildlife preserve-ish type space. So it looks like next to nothing, right? You wouldn't look at it and be like, oh, what a romantic entrance to the second half of this trailhead. Frodo would because he's melodramatic. Frodo would. He would be like, what a magnificent thing to say goodbye to. And yet I found myself thinking that's a really special place to me. It has a lot of emotional resonance. And it, it, to your point, it feels that way because of the relationship that I have with my partner. What, a, what an amazing moment that was for me, um, for our relationship. So what had previously not been a particularly attractive space to me now holds this really special memory. And I think that would be a place that I would be sad to leave, even though the community it finds itself in is not one that I would inherently qualify as home. That's interesting that you don't qualify your community as home. I have moved a lot over the past eight years, I think like three to five times depending on how you count it and for me I am a slow mover in making meaningful relationships and I felt like the last couple of times I've really hit my stride around year two or three where you can go from asking your friend let's go grab drinks to please help me move and water my plants while I'm gone so I'm interested to hear like what your thoughts are on the community making your place feel like home and how time factors into that. Yeah, I think that's interesting. I have been here now for four and a half years, maybe maybe five years now total. And it's a very interesting place. It's a place that I didn't see myself ending up. And so I don't know if that's factored into some of the the sort of slow adjustment to getting familiar. It's also a place, and I think we've talked about this on the podcast before, where there are a lot of locals. So it is a very tough place for me to tap into local relationships and networks because their familiarity with the space, their references are so specific and so close-knit. So you'll have people give you instructions from a space to another space, And they'll use references from 20 years ago. Oh, this is the old so-and-so. And and that used to be a ba-ba-ba. Go past the football field where Jimmy kicked that field goal in 68 and you'll be right there on the right. That, exactly, exactly. (laughs) And so as, as a person who's not from the community, that becomes really challenging to tap into to feel like you have that same level of awareness, that same level of maybe intimacy with the space. And that's, that's the language of the community. So that's been a little bit uh, more challenging for me to tap into. And because there's also not a steady flow in and out of folks that are kind of around my same maybe age, but maybe just sort of life stage. And 
for that lack of a cohort, it's also been a little bit challenging to find, you know, like, like-minded people or people that you vibe with in spaces that aren't work, right? And so that kind of comes with its own unique nuance for navigating some of those relationships. So as far as qualifying this space as my community, there there are some of the hallmarks. Like I said, when I come home from traveling, I feel a sense of rest and reprieve when I get in my driveway. I love coming home at the end of the day and, and that space feels special, but sort of the broader community still feels a little bit at a distance for me. I've never lived in a new place where everyone is a local. So that's interesting to hear. And I think that's why that that local question really resonated with me, because while I really can see some nuance to my relationship deepening and changing here, and I would qualify myself as a local as far as being able to navigate, if someone asked me where I was from, I don't anticipate ever responding, you know, where I am right now, because I don't view myself Maybe I will at some point, but I don't yet view myself as from here. So another quote that I had from the book here that I wanted to pull out that I felt was perhaps most poignant in discussing leaving home is a quote from Sam earlier on in the chapter. He had a strange feeling as the slow gurgling stream slipped by. His old life lay behind in the mists dark adventure lay in front. And I don't know that I have anything really to bring to the table beyond this quote and the fact that I I thought it really hit the nail on the head of what it feels like to start a new adventure. Right. It gives a sense of unease and unknown. And I think for Sam, right, this is so important because he's the only hobbit of the four, well, of the three really in the group, that hasn't crossed the river before. So he's really outside of his comfort zone the minute that they get on to uh, the ferry to head over to Buckland, which is pretty, it's a pretty big step. And to think that, you know, all that comes later in the book is just going to continually mount on top of this first moment of unrest. And it, it kind of feels like that's, you know, what you experienced in your story, Ellen, as far as having to go through all of these trials and tribulations to get to this destination, which ended up working out just fine, but that you, there are these compounding factors in your journey of like, and this happened, and now I've got to do this. And I, I'll have to say that, you know, Sam is in for a bit of that as he, as he continues the rest of his journey. I'll make sure to direct Sam to not the place where I went to go get my car checked up, who put both of my brake lines in incorrectly and caused them to wear out and brake within 50 miles of driving the car. I don't think Bill the Pony has brake lines, but like also, yes, I think that's a good recommendation. I like imagining Bill the Pony as uh, a metaphor for my vehicle that I had in high school and college because they both needed a little extra love, you know? Little TLC, they got a little, yeah, a little, you know, anxious, a little uh, nervous around sort of big climbs, you know, there's some similarities that we could draw here. Well, those were all of the examples that I saw in the chapter. Did you see any that you wanted to bring to our attention? There were a couple that I thought were interesting. So 
Thaddy Bulger, the unfortunately nicknamed uh, Hobbit, who's whose full name, I believe, is Fredegar. Yeah, Fatty, Fatty Bulger is a rough one. It's a rough one. And so he and Mary have set up the house with Frodo and Bilbo's things. Again, Frodo's reminded sharply of Bilbo with these things in a new context. And as they're having dinner, you can really hear Fredegar kind of try to dissuade the crew from leaving. Like, he's aware of the plan. He's going to keep the secret. He's going to help keep up the pretense that... Frodo is still there after they've left, but he really tries to keep the group from leaving through the old forest, too. And it reminds me of how when someone is familiar with a space and maybe has not had the experience of leaving, that there is a reassertion that what is known is safe, and so you should stay in the place which is known to be safe. And it just kind of reminded me, I was thinking about you know, when you started college in Chicago and how many of our family had preconceived notions around the safety or perceived safety of Chicago when I went to college, there, there was still some of that as well as the largest city that, uh, you know, a lot of people had really visited. And so there was this need to remind folks that like, oh, it's not safe. You know, you shouldn't go. Are you sure you want to go there? It's too big. And I was really reminded of that experience of leaving home with Fredegar's well-intentioned but probably misplaced um, advisories against the old forest. Yeah, and he's wrong. It's, I think, more dangerous to stay and pretend to be Frodo in the place where he is known to be and the Black Riders are closing in than to flee and keep running. Well, and little the the book does allude to that a bit too, right? Where it says, you know, he's going to pretend to be Frodo in this space where Frodo is alleged to be and no one has really considered the lack of safety that determination will cause, right? So like he's perhaps in the most precarious position because of what is enclosing the Shire. So we're back to this kind of concept too about like the Shire is safe and people who have lived there a long time or Buckland is safe and people who have lived there a long time are really maybe sort of, they're not as willing to see danger at their front doorstep because it is known to them because it is safe. So they're kind of resting on their laurels a bit as far as some of these impending dangers if they are aware of them. I think the last thing I want to say about home here and what you were just talking about with Fredegar reminded me is what a joy it is to have a hot bath or a hot shower when you arrive home. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was a fun moment in the chapter when they're like, well, it won't do to start fighting over who gets the bath first. We've drawn you three baths. And I thought that was such nice hospitality and just like a lovely way to welcome Frodo as he's leaving his home in the Shire. I thought it was a nice way to welcome him at this waypoint in his journey. That was one of the quotes that I liked from the from the chapter is that um, it's on my page 113 where it talks about them approaching this, you know, house that Frodo is, is alleged to live in. And it says, As they walked up the green path from the gate, no light was visible. The windows were dark and shuttered. Frodo knocked on the door and Fatty Bulger opened it. A friendly light streamed out. They slipped in quickly and shut themselves and the light inside. And I just liked this sort of, the setting of the scene, really, right? They've been on this dark and scary journey. They've been pursued by this unknown 
entity and now they've arrived at their first destination uh, you know of many on this journey and a friendly light streams out to welcome them into the house and then as you say they go in and they have this like lovely evening together um, and I thought it was just such a nice visual representation of what this house means to the group what do you think about that shutting the light inside is some good prose there I had missed that scene setting which is unlike me because I enjoy the more cinematic moments of the book and it's nice to imagine that friendly light sort of welcoming him into this new space so let's transition then into our action item Ellen what do you have for us today to maybe build a relationship with our community around the topic of leaving our community Well, in honor of Frodo, you don't have to leave your favorite haunt, but I'd like to invite you to think of what some of your favorite haunts are in either the community that you're in right now or maybe the one that you used to live in and send a thank you message, preferably a handwritten letter to somebody who maintains that haunt. So I thought about who I'm going to send mine to and I, I, I have two in my mind. There's a coffee shop in my neighborhood that I go to all of the time, and I know it's locally owned, and I would love to send a thank you message to the owner there and just say thanks for having such a a welcoming spot. And then the library that we used to go to growing up, I feel like they would also appreciate a thank you message because that is sort of a fixture. When I think of our, our community of our childhood town, I think of the library, and I'd like to tell them that it was meaningful. I love that. I often refer to that library as the gold standard of libraries that I've been to, just because the the space is so beautiful. And also the folks that worked there, they were just so lovely that I, I love the idea of sending them a thank you letter. And definitely I can see a lot of the, the employees there would recognize your name because we were there so often as children. It's because it was the best. It was the best. And it was also air-conditioned, which is a really big deal in the summer. It was like the one place that dad would be like, let's go to the library. And we're like, great, we're getting Mulan again (laughs) on VHS. Yeah, go to that sweet DVD VHS checkout area and get us something good. So to recap, think of a haunt that you frequent, or you can do what I'm doing and think of a haunt that you used to frequent and one that you currently frequent. And send them a thank you letter, letting them know what their space means to your definition of community. Today's podcast was brought to you by Good Friends and Hot Baths. Fine on their own, but better together. Our music is by Robert Zahn and Simon Dom. If you have thoughts on today's episode or homework assignment, send us a voicemail or email at infellowshippodcast at gmail.com. You can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Remember to take care of your community, stay hydrated, and thank you for joining us today in fellowship. Ow. (laughs) Did you hear that? (laughs) Yes. That was such a dull thud. Are you okay? Yes, fine. It was just my elbow. Oh, I thought one of the moths attacked you. No, it's just me being clumsy in the closet. Oh. <laughs>
Womp womp. <laughs> Classic. Classic.